It is June. It is time for everybody to freak out about recruiting rankings in a good way or a bad way. And we have updates for you. And what the hell is up with these podcast ratings? Ralph has too much power. And we got to talk about this right now. Um, Pat Tillman. Why does everybody have all these damn Pat Tillman takes? All Pac-12 schools are finally going to be open. Isn't it going to be very difficult playing from week to week, wondering who's going to be out asymptomatic with COVID-19? And how about this Buckeye pledge? How's that going to work out in the Pac-12 when somebody has to essentially sign a liability waiver for kids to get back for workouts? I'm George Reister with Ralph Amston, and this is the Pac-12 Apostles. Thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles. We appreciate your time, appreciate your energy. Thank you for listening. And of course, please leave a five-star rating wherever you listen to podcasts. Despite what Ralph says about being four stars being good enough, we don't want them. We want all five stars. Um, If you guys want to get in contact with us, you can find him on Twitter at Ralph Amsden, me at George Reister, the podcast at Pac-12 Apostles, or you can send us an email to I'm mad, I-M-M-A-D at unafraidshow.com. This is a Pac-12 podcast for Pac-12 people, by Pac-12 people, and people who want to get some inside knowledge about college football, especially out here on the West Coast, the best coast. Um, Now, it's time to get to the show. Ralph, everybody has been freaking out about recruiting in the Pac-12. If you are in Oregon or a USC fan, you are extremely happy right now. If you are Washington, you are trying to uh, you're trying to sell to your fan base that there's going to be a ton of decommits ASU too that there's going to be a ton of decommits and you're going to be able to swoop in and and get them all. And if you're other programs, you are very concerned right now because a lot of people are saying this is going to be the year to decommit. Yeah, but are you sure though? Because there may not even be high school football. So can you guarantee that? What's your take on that, Ralph? Do you think there will be a ton of decommitments? And how do you think it'll play out if there is high school football and if there's not? Well, I mean, if there's not high school football, which will be devastating, if there's not high school football, then you would figure there's more time for some of these kids who are already on the radar to... uh, to figure out where they want to go, except these colleges still might not be hosting recruits. They might not be playing in front of fans. So I think it would be, it would be bizarre for me to even speculate. I, I have no idea what's going on or why, or what could happen. You know, I, I know that people are having all day meetings trying to figure this out at the NCAA level and the PAC 12 level and every single team is just waiting for some type of update of when they can go and talk to these kids. Cause we are, we have entered an extremely long dead period. This is the longest that most of these coaches have ever gone without going and seeing some preps in person. They're having to completely rely on film and maybe they're able to relationship build over the phone a little bit more. But um, so, so, so that's the other side of it. If you've been on the phone with a certain coach for an hour every single day because there's nothing else to do, then 
Do you have a stronger bond than you may have ever had before? And will the decommitments come once that coach moves on for another job instead of once it's open season on these kids again? Because you might actually have some some more developed relationships. I know of one recruit who um, who uh, was speaking to a college and told them he was ready to commit. And then a couple other colleges called him on the phone and uh, and he called that college back and he said, hey, cancel my commitment for today. I want to be a little bit more thorough. And that college told him, uh, then we're done with you because we're going to run out of spots. And then guess what happened 10 days later? That same kid committed to the same college that he <laughs> that he had told that he wanted to wait a little bit longer because even when these teams want to play hardball, they still want the players that they want. So they were able to make up and then talk on the phone every single day. Um, that, that's been my, my whole thing is just, I'm, I'm called these recruits and I'm like, Hey, what have you been talking to the coaches about? And you hear some pretty interesting stuff, but I definitely think they're developing stronger relationships than they, they would have otherwise, which might actually stem some of that turnover. Don't you think that that, rec- that, that favors the recruiting grinders, you know, like a Mario Cristobal, like, uh, you know, like, a some of the new guys at USC, like Dante Williams right now, like people who are really, really putting in that time as opposed to coaches who are saying, well, we did, we did, we're not going to send out a whole bunch of offers. We got to get people on campus, all of that. And when in actuality, you may not be able to get them on campus this year. Maybe, but it could also be argued that it favors the, um, the schools whose campus maybe doesn't have as much to offer because I mean, you know, university of New Mexico is doing way better in recruiting than they ever have. University of Nevada is doing way better in recruiting than they ever have. You know, some of these camp, some of these schools that just rely on the campus experience uh, might not necessarily be having the easiest time. Lawrence, Kansas has itself 12 commits at an average of 2.9 stars. The University of Kansas is doing a really good job in recruiting right now because you, you don't have to like rely on, you know, the, the schools that kill it in the in-person visit when they get the kids out on officials and unofficials, they can't rely on that. So it really comes down to who the grinders on your staff are and you end up finding out, you know, are, am I as good of a recruiter as I thought I was, or was it the fact that people were getting to visit uh, Autzen stadium in the middle of Eugene and see this like architectural masterpiece and envision themselves playing in front of all these fans or go out to the Rose bowl and get that, you know, experience or, or, or is it because you've got that cult of personality? You don't have to rely on all of the resources that you have in place. Then again, uh, most of these kids are FaceTiming, so they're going on tours of the school anyway. They just can't be there in person for it. So maybe it maybe it favors the coaches who um, who who are a lot more charismatic. But I think at the end of the day, um, it, I think it'll it'll tend to favor the coaches who can actually develop more than that skin deep relationship. The ones who really get to know you. Um, you know, I I know that uh, who's our guy at Iowa State, the the head coach out there. Um, the oh, one that's supposed oh. to be getting a job everywhere else. Uh, 
but I, I know that he's one of those recruiters that's really, really good at Matt, at getting, Matt Campbell, Matt Campbell. Yeah. They got 14 commits right now, 11, three stars. And, and he's one of those guys that's really, really good at kind of getting to the second level of, you know, getting to know you as a person and everything like that. So, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's what it comes down to. I know that, uh, I know that one school that had really depended on the fact that they hired a young staff that could go out and recruit is Arizona state and Arizona state is struggling right now to get, to get kids to commit. Yeah. And the, the guy that they really brought in was Prentice, Prentice Gill. They were wondering, and who else, what, what, what the, the guy from USC, Chris Hawkins. Yeah. Whose dad yeah. is, is the uh, head of all the ground zero seven on seven stuff. Well, guess what? There's no seven on, well, there's limited seven on seven. Some people are still trying to get away with it. So who do you, so it, do you think that this is a one year problem or do you think that this for, for Arizona state in particular, or do you think that this is symptomatic of having such young coaches that parents, cause Cause I wonder if parents are saying, wait, hold up. I like this young dude, but I don't know if he can mentor my kid and be that father figure that I want. Like this feels a little too friendly to me. Yeah. With the younger guys, it's tough, right? Because, you know, I've listened to interviews with Chris Hawkins and he's like, you know, I can talk to a lot of these guys about what they're doing right now. Um, you know, and I can talk to them about, you know, fashion and girls and relate to them on their level. But when you're looking for what college to go to, you know, you're probably looking to have that experience with a college coach of saying, hey, I've actually, you know, I've had 18 different classes of kids come through here. Here's the good. Here's the bad. Here's what we were able to do for a lot of these um, for a lot of these players. And Arizona State has an extremely young coaching staff, whether it's Derek Hagan or Herm Edwards or himself or or Kevin Mawai or Antonio Pierce. You know, they don't have a lot of people on staff outside of Zach Hill that have actually been in the college game for more than two to three years. So they they don't have the ability to have that type of conversation with you yet. Um, you know, you can get Kevin Mawai on the phone and he can tell you about being the greatest center in the history of the NFL, but you know, what can he tell you about what can he tell you about your college experience? And so um it, you know, there, there are interesting little advantages that people will have here and there um, throughout this recruiting process. I hope that this is the only year where we have something like this. And the only thing that I can imagine in my mind that will reset things is if people feel comfortable enough with a vaccine being out there uh, to protect some of our, some of our um, older and more vulnerable populace, because that's really what this is about. You're not going to see um, I, I heavily doubt that you're going to see any college athletes in tip top shape get taken out by COVID-19. You might have some kids get seriously sick and have some, you know, lasting effects from that sickness, but this isn't really something that is devastating the 18 to 22 year old world-class athlete demographic, you know? Yeah. And that that's one of the things that I think that is important is that we notice, all right, hold up that there are things bigger than, than death as it re- results in this. But we're going to talk about that in a few, in a few minutes, but I did want to hit on the recruiting updates because there have been a number of commitments since the last time that we talked about commitments. So right now USC has the number one recruiting class in the PAC 12 and 
um, they have 16 commits. The only issue with their class right now is that they have two quarterbacks committed. They have Jake Garcia and Miller Moss. Jake Garcia committed in September of 2019, if I remember correctly. And Miller Moss just committed in June. So that's one of those things of if you're a coach and you get Jake Garcia, because how these football classes usually work is once you sign a quarterback, you don't sign two top tier quarterbacks in a class. Am am I wrong here, Ralph? You can. I mean, um, Joey Yellen and Jaden Daniels both went to ASU, but then you see how that works out. One gets the job. And one bounces. I think, you know, Jebbia, when he went to Nebraska, um, it, it really depends. Because wasn't there a year about five years ago? The Justin Herbert class. Wasn't Justin Herbert the lowest rated of the three? Yes. Okay. Yep. So, yeah. So, I mean, you see this happen every once in a while just based yeah, on how the like classes work lower, out. Yeah, but it's usually like a lower tier quarterback yeah. and then like a four star quarterback. Like you'll get a two star guy just for depth. Yeah. You know. I I tell you what I like Jake Garcia. I, he to me has the absolute best arm in the uh, in this entire class. Uh, I've I've been a big fan of his ever since he was a freshman in high school. I have also seen Miller Moss play in person uh, when he when he came down here to Arizona. Um, I'm not as enthusiastic about him, even though I think that he's super talented. Him committing to USC when he had a bunch of options was a baller move. It really was a huge flex. Like he took his time. He figured out what was going to be best for him. He looked over and he saw Jake Garcia already committed. And he said, who cares? And, uh, and, and then everyone's saying, you know, everyone is painting Jake Garcia and Miller Moss as guys who are afraid of competition because they've transferred high schools multiple times. But the truth is both of these guys, from what I understand, fully intend on keeping their word to USC and are working together to help build this class well, into into the top one in the Pac-12. Well, I've been on the I've been scrolling the message boards. I have been on I have gone down the deep rabbit hole. And on the USC boards and on the Miami boards, they all expect Jake Garcia to decommit and to flip to Miami. That's what that's what I'm reading on all of these things. And usually when there's smoke, there's fire there. And I like it, it's just hard to sign two four star wideouts. I'm sorry, two four star quarterbacks. Yeah. Because they want to go a place where they can have an opportunity to play. And then they don't have to mess around. And if I don't win the job, if I sprain an ankle, anything that I get to go some that I'm going to transfer and go somewhere else. Cause USC just saw JT Daniels, who they thought was going to be their franchise quarterback for four or three, at least a three year starter, maybe a four year starter. He just transferred out because of Keaton Slovis. So, yeah. you know, if, if you're a kid, you're not going to log jam yourself in these situations. And I do. And it's weird because I'm looking at, I'm like, so if Jake Garcia decommits, does that make him look bad? And Miller Moss look like a boss move. Like, look, I know you were, were committed. I don't care. And what does that say about what USC really thinks about, about Jake Garcia who had been committed since last year, if they were still recruiting Miller Moss that hard, that don't make sense. Right. 
And I, I, I'm genuinely surprised that Jake Garcia isn't considering Arizona State, given that he was coached in high school by Antonio Pierce. But we'll see how it all shakes out. I'm, I'm impressed with what USC is doing so far. And then you never know. If you commit to USC and then they turn around and they see a grad transfer that they can take advantage of, they're going to do it. Didn't we, just have a, didn't we just have a grad transfer party crash? Um, I've seen him play. Uh, Kevin Thompson from Sacramento State. Where did he land? Was it University of Washington? Yeah. Wait, Kevin Kevin Thompson? Yeah, Kevin Thompson. T-H-O-M-S-O-N. I watched him throw for like 200-plus yards against ASU when he was quarterback of Sac State last year. He's a pretty talented kid. Washington had absolutely no experience coming back at quarterback, and I think they pulled this kid as a grad transfer. Yeah, he is. He's going to University of Washington. So they pulled him as a grad transfer out of Sac State, and you and I were going back and forth on whether or not we thought the young Garbers was going to be able to get that job. Now all of a sudden he's having to compete with a guy who has multiple years of starting under his belt. So you never you never know. You you pick a college, but then the grad transfer market is always so hot and heavy that that could end up, you know that that could end up tanking your chances as well. Um, you know, I remember how pissed off Manny Wilkins was when he found out he had to fend off Blake Barnett. You know, coming from Alabama out here to uh, to ASU, that kind of stuff happens constantly. That battle's going on at Utah right now. So. Um, you, you never know with these guys. It, sometimes it's best to just kind of stick it out and see what happens. But, you know, I, I, I don't think where you land as a freshman is necessarily where you're going to be as a senior. We've seen that from probably over half of the quarterbacks at this point find a home elsewhere. And if you if it's your second home, really, where you find out, what, you know, um, uh, if the situation's uh, right for you or not, when you understand a little bit more about what it is to be a college quarterback, and what things should go into that decision. I think you see a lot more quarterbacks have success after a transfer, as, as you can see from the last few Heisman trophies, um, than, than where they end up uh, right out of the gate. So if I was Jake Garcia, maybe you just stick it out and then you know have a, have a better plan for where you try to end up next. Um, and in June, like or since the last time we've talked about recruiting, where who are some of the – top recruits who have committed in the Pac-12 right now? Well, uh, University of Washington got a very interesting prospect. Um, I think his name is uh, Will Latu out of Spanaway, Washington. He's listed as a defensive back, uh, but he very he very well may end up a linebacker. He's 6'2", 220 as a safety in high school. This kid's a, a four-star, according to rivals. He had offers from just about everybody, and he decides to stay close to home. And maybe that's the effect of, uh, you know, of, of of COVID nineteen and not wanting to play too far away because, you know, he had Michigan on him pretty heavy, Tennessee, uh, USC, uh, Arizona State was in there, Nebraska was in there, and he decides to, you know, he decides to play just about an hour from home, uh, stick around at University of Washington. That was a big pickup for them. And then, believe it or not, Oregon State actually made a little bit of a splash. Uh, They were able to pick up an in-state running back who I believe is a four-star according to 24-7. Rivals has him as a three-star. He's out of Portland. His name is Demir Collins, uh, and he's a 5'9", 184, kind of a a speedster um, with with, with a really solid build. 
And, uh, and I know that Oregon state's super excited because this is the first big splash of, yeah, uh, of the recruiting season recruit for them right now. Yeah. I, I, I honestly think that he could play anywhere. I know that his offer list wasn't, um, it wasn't crazy. Uh, he did have, you know, some, some out of state, uh, schools, um, not out of state, out of conference schools like Maryland, Mississippi that were after him. But this, the way that he plays and just the, the way that he moves, I thought he was kind of a good fit for maybe for, for Oregon. But, you know, I know that they've, they're, they're pretty stacked with what they're doing at the running back position. So, you know, we got another guy staying close to home. And again, this could be yeah. the effect of, of COVID-19. And that's a, you know, that's a really, really good get uh, for them. And yeah, and then University of Arizona, I believe, also landed uh, a big time quarterback out of the state of Washington. And I want to say I've seen him at a rivals camp, but I have to go back and check my notes. Um, and his name is Clay Millen. Uh, again, for, uh, he's a four star in 24 7, a three star on rivals. And he had uh, offers from. Oregon, Oregon State, and Colorado, uh, and he ended up committing to the University of Arizona. So they've got their quarterback in the class of 2021. See, that's well, that's good. Some momentum for for them. And I saw that USC they got a D tackle out of Grace Brethren, Jay Toya, Toya. And they also got a commitment from a wide receiver from Las Vegas, Michael Jackson. So yeah, it, it, yeah, it, Michael Jackson's a talented player. That again, Arizona State thought they had the inside track on him, and they they got they got beat out. So um, it, it's definitely it's definitely been interesting because you know I think the ASU was trying to capitalize on last year's class um, by by uh, really taking on Oregon and USC, and so far they've they've been on the losing end of almost every single one of those recruiting battles. Well, I think that that's, I I think that that's where some fan bases have set themselves up with unrealistic expectations. You know, uh, ASU flipped Johnny Wilson from Oregon last year. And I think that that led people to believe that they were on par with USC and Oregon in recruiting, but it's clear as day that, that they're that nobody in the conference is on par with them in terms of recruiting that the top recruiting teams in the conference are Oregon, USC and Washington. And then there is a you know well it's Oregon and USC first. I mean the last year's anomaly of 60th class for USC is a kind of an outlier but aside from that is Oregon, USC, then Washington and then you know, and then everybody else kind of fits in after, after there. Would you agree with that? Yeah. And especially when you try to shape your staff around in-person recruiters, you know, what are you going to, what are you going to do when you can't recruit in person? So, um, it, it, it really comes down to the fact that, you know, when, uh, when things are on shaky ground and you have the opportunity to take that USC, offer instead of visiting a bunch of other schools and possibly getting your mind changed, you're going to take that USC offer. And I think the same goes for Oregon and the PAC 12 North. And even though I think that Washington is doing a good job, it, I mean, it would be a good job if this was a regular year, they need to step it up if they want to be able to keep up with, uh, with what Oregon's got going on. Well, yeah. Cause a lot of people are depending on, Oh, well, there are going to be decommitments, all of this. I don't trust that. I would rather secure a commitment and then worry about decommitments on the back end. 
Yeah, and then meanwhile, you got quietly Cal is, you know, they haven't they haven't had any. Uh, they've had one commitment. Um, uh, Fatavalu Iosefa from Milani, Hawaii, uh, uh, just about a week ago or two weeks ago. Um, but they've they've really been very quiet since the whole COVID shutdown happened. They got three commitments in April, and then uh, just that one in the last two months. And so, you know, it, I I kind of wonder what's happening over there in Berkeley because they had a ton of momentum going into all this, and it's really really slowed down. Yeah, um, and there are a couple huge commits still left on the board on the West Coast. Really, you got the the. Corey Foreman kid, uh, JT Tuimolau. Did I, did I say that correctly? JT Tuimolau. Yeah, he's, oof. He, he is very, very good. I know Rivals keeps dropping him in the rankings. I think he's down to the number four player in the country, but I think he's still number one over on 24-7, and he is special, special. Pac-12 is gonna, it has an uphill battle to keep him away from Ohio State. Yeah, and then there's uh, Emeka Egbuka. The, the, the wide receiver. So both of those kids are from Washington and Washington thinks that they, that they are going to sign those kids. I think it's probably very unlikely that they sign either of them, but both of them for sure. Yeah. i everything that I've heard is uh, that, that JT is trending to Columbus um, or what, what, what are they trying to name, rename Columbus flavor town or, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I've, I've definitely heard that he is he he has a potential to leave the state, uh, but that that would be either one of those guys would be huge for for Jimmy Lake in his first campaign as head coach. Oh, for for sure. And then there's Corey Foreman, and you had and that's what's kind of put Washington and ASU on high alert and a and usc as well because they're like hold up oregon wasn't even in the mix for either one of these kids when they put out like their top seven or whatever they put out and then all of a sudden now they're in they're in the game and that's what leads to the bag men <laughs> comments and all of that and re- recruiting is very interesting especially in june because people will tell you don't be concerned but i always if I'm a school, I like to get my commits in early and then worry about if there is some change on the back end. And But I ultimately think that I do believe that Jay Garcia is going to decommit and probably land at Miami, which is going to drop USC's class. I think that it'll probably end up Oregon 1 in the Pac-12, USC 2, but I think that that'll be super close because they are – killing in both killing in recruiting right now washington will end up third ucla or cal end up fourth and and then asu will be somewhere either fourth or fifth um now on to the next thing ralph our podcast ratings (laughs) i blame this on you this is your fault and this all this clearly shows how much power that that your words have because I always ask for five star ratings and tell and tell people that this is very important that we want five star ratings because this pushes us up in the ratings, let people see us and know us and all of this stuff. And you are the guy, oh, I'm not competitive. Four stars are great. We did fantastic. And I look on here and I see the ratings and I get a 
four star for Ralph because Ralph's a four star podcaster. Ralph, come on, man. And then you- another person said four stars to keep George George humble, and that's a Ralph thing too. <laughs> Would you? you okay, Ralph? here's my question to you: Would you rather get a five star review every time and admit that? I'm right that I'm not a competitive person or would you rather be right about me potentially being a competitive person and get a four star review every once in a while? Oh man. Because, oh, God. because I'm about to hold this whole thing for ransom and, uh, <laughs> what I let's, let's, let's get into some of these reviews. Cause we, we have six that are unread. And the first one, the most important one that I want to get to is our guy Gorilla Bears, who if he does, if he continues to do this, I will make him a regular part of the show. I will make, there will be a weekly Gorilla Bears segment (laughs) because after we spent a good 15 minutes talking about his epic takedown one-star review of our our last uh, episode, we did a mini episode talking all about his one star review. He went back in and he changed his one star review and it is now titled garbage. And, and, and are, are you ready? Cause it was about a, what a four or 500 word review last time. Are Dude, you ready for he what? He left a paragraph. Yeah. yeah. So this is, this is the new updated review for this week's episode. Garbage last episode. So, <laughs> so it, this is like a living, breathing thing. And I tell you what, gorilla bears, whoever you are, first of all, I love you. I hope you are happy and healthy, uh, in, in this time of uncertainty. And I wish your Utah Utes the very best. Secondly, if you keep doing this, we will keep reading it because, uh, an updated review each week is something I would be incredibly excited for. And maybe <laughs> just maybe we can earn your trust back and bump up the star ratings. Uh, that, Cause oh, man. the Dude, fact that gorilla, he updated it. Oh, amazing. Dude, gorilla bears is unintentionally becoming part of the, of the show. And hopefully he wants to be a part of it. Cause that would be absolutely epic. Well, the fact that he left us that one star review, and then he came back and he listened to the to the next mini episode uh that was really cool of him like that was super big of him because he was obviously upset with what we were with what we were saying and he still returned and that that might speak more to this era of absolutely nothing to do and no sports and so you know uh, but my hope is um my hope is that he will continue to update his review and then eventually we'll work our way up from the perpetual one star. But we got another one here from E devil 86. The honest and open conversations this podcast has is wonderful. It sheds a lot of light on controversial issues and nails it every time. That is incredibly kind. Um, I'm pretty sure according to gorilla bears, we don't nail it every time. Uh, but that, 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 that was a really cool review. Um, we got another one here from five underscore O underscore three underscore. And correct me if I'm wrong. That's an Oregon area code, right? Yep. Uh, it says great. Listen, if you're a pac 12 fan, love the pod disregard any one star reviews as salty Utah fans, or maybe a Husky just wanted to tell you, keep up the great content. Listen every week. Go ducks. 
<laughs> so Boom. we now we now have people calling out gorilla bears <laughs> within the review ecosystem. Oh, this is my favorite. Uh, and then the two that you're upset with, the two four star reviews, which four four stars is plenty good. I'm not saying leave a four star review. I'm not saying leave a four star review, but I am going to read the two four star reviews that we got this week, which I am proud of. Uh, one is titled <laughs> Ralph is a four star podcaster. Ralph asked for four stars. I delivered. So that's, <laughs> that's true. Uh, this one from Sean Canary, good pack 12 podcast, four out of five stars to keep George humble. Uh, and I, I feel like uh, I feel like that person nailed it. And then we got one last one. This is a five star. This is more along the lines of what you were looking for, I think, from uh, AZ Angel. I think I know this guy. I think his name is Paul. He's on Twitter. He lives in Utah, and he likes to troll the Utes. He said, if you're listening to this podcast, you'll be entertained. Uh, the most underrated sports personality of the Pac-12 in Ralph Amsden and his co-host, some Oregon duck oh rando. Oh my god! <laughs> Some Oregon duck rando. I rated this thing five stars, even though Ralph loves the Arizona Wildcats and man crushes on their starting quarterbacks. The hosts do offer solid insight into recruiting backstories and program developments throughout the pack. The friendship is apparent through banter and good times. I also enjoy listening to Pack Twelve episodes and laughing at how bad they are in ranking players and predicting season outcomes. Oh yeah. Hashtag fire Larry Scott. (laughs) So that's the trade-off. Do you want five-star reviews that call you George Reister, former NFL tight end, some Oregon duck (laughs) rando? Right, dude, dude, former (laughs) NFL tight end, Fox Sports radio host, whatever. Yeah, Oregon Rando, whatever. All right, that's fine. I will take all the five-star reviews. I will never admit that you're not a competitive person. And you are so not competitive that you still have not played (laughs) me in in a connect four again because i was kicking your ass up and down connect four this is true and maybe maybe on my long road trip maybe i'll maybe i'll feel like uh feel like getting back into it but here's my question how am i supposed to feel about being called underrated as a non-competitive person i don't really know how to react to that is that a good thing is that a bad thing um i would take that as a positive, but then a negative, because I'd be like, "Well, how, why, why am I not more widely re- recognized?" I'm upset about that. <laughs> so I, I need to find something like a chip on my shoulder. Like I have that, you know, that thing where people are always perpetually having to be upset about something for motivation. That that's me. You're the gorilla bears of us. <laughs> yep. Um, a topic that you brought up, Ralph, is. So I I did, I filled in on the Doug Gottlieb show this week. Well, last week and um, in hosting the uh, show, Ralph brought up a point. He was like, yo, what is up? And the reason why he brought it up is because Doug had a Pat Tillman take as it related to uh, Colin Kaepernick. And Ralph was like, yo, what is up with all these Pat Tillman takes? Like, why does everybody have... Do they have a wallet full of Pat Tillman takes that they're just waiting to to pull out when just totally the bad timing every single time? And I don't know, Ralph. 
they just make me so frustrated, man. He's been gone a really long time. He is whatever he is to you. Um, he, he, that's, that's somebody who's always been very, very special to me personally, just because I was in uh, junior high, high school when he was playing at Arizona state. And then he got drafted to the Cardinals in the seventh round, moved from linebacker to safety, played his way onto the field playing next to, I mean, the, the guys he was playing next to finding a home in that secondary, he had NFL hall of famer, Aeneas Williams, uh, Kwame Lasseter, who I believe was a pro bowler at the time, uh, rest in peace, Kwame. And, and I think Corey Chavis, uh, was out there as well. And he was one of the best, uh, best cover corners in Arizona Cardinals history outside of Aeneas Williams. He found a home in that secondary and he, he, it was very evident that he was going to be a very good player in the league for, for a very long time. You know, he made the decision that he made after, after nine 11. And, and that was my senior year in high school. And a lot of my friends made that same decision. I came very close to making that same decision uh, as well. And then, you know, the subsequent sort of loss of innocence of his disillusionment with the situation he found himself in getting killed by one of his fellow soldiers and the government covering it up. The whole thing is an American hero story. It's an American tragedy Um, on an individual level, an incredible person, a very unique person, a unicorn in our time, right? A sacrificial person who also was a critical thinker and an empath, like who felt deeply for other people. Um, never wanted to be lionized as, as a hero, never wanted to be canonized as this holy man or anything like that. And, and I feel like the one thing that we owe to him more than anything else. And I didn't know him personally, but I know a lot of people who played with him and who did know him and they all uniformly feel the exact same way, uh, is that, Hey, this is not a guy who would want his name dragged out for someone to prove a point you, you, if you want to be like Pat Tillman, make, be able to stand on your own with your own thoughts, with your own convictions, with your own values. And it seems like every single time something happens out there, especially having to do with Colin Kaepernick, uh, whether it's Doug Gottlieb or Kevin Blackstone or anybody else, people want to use Pat Tillman's name and legacy to further whatever they personally believe. Uh, and it's, 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 I don't know. I just, I want to bang my head against the wall. Cause again, like, uh, I, you know, um, Kyle Murphy, who was an offensive lineman on the, the Rose bowl team and played with him, you know, he he's in deep pain every time he sees Pat Tillman's name, get drug out there. And I, you know, I feel for him and I feel for everybody else because it's just, what, what do we got to do to get people to stop bringing him up and just let him rest, you know? Yeah. See, the, the the thing about Pat is, is that I don't feel like that he, I feel like he gets the recognition with the Arizona Cardinals and with the Arizona State Sun Devils that he deserves. I don't feel like he gets the credit nationally that he deserves. And I, and I think that this is just a weird, nuanced situ, situation because you have people who, stood up and fought for something and all of that in, in different aspects of life all the, all the time. But I feel like the, the circumstances surrounding his death with friendly fire 
that that kind of took away from some of the the greatness of what he he did. You know, because we've seen Sniper, we've seen the 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 movie about the guys who were uh, like it was three Navy SEALs against the all of like all, all all the Taliban and all this stuff, and a couple of them made it out. And it was just like I I, I wish that there was a story that we could see that could be movie made about him because I do feel like he does deserve it. But I also feel like he doesn't deserve what his name gets turned into because there's a lot of people that try to use his name to further their takes or their agenda when they have no clue what he would have said about Colin Kaepernick kneeling. You don't know what he would have said about you know, about protests. You don't know what he would have said about equality. You don't know what he would have said about Larry Scott. You don't know what he would have said about anything. So to assume what he would have said, is just, it's just so bad. Uh, like, and I just feel like it's almost despicable for people to do that, to try to further their cause. Cause we've seen with JJ Watt where they said, Oh, JJ Watt wouldn't, wouldn't do, do this. And JJ Watt came out and tweeted. was like, don't speak for me. Uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin. Everybody thought that he would be in, because he is a country boy, redneck, and all this thing. And turned turns out the dude is in favor of Black Lives Matter and for gay marriage. So it's like, who would have thought, you know, that the dude that was running around smashing beer, saying that's the way it is because Stone Cold said so, would be on this on these side of these things. So yeah. hopefully and people. The- and the thing about Pat is he's just not here to to give whatever take he would have. And maybe he would be more conservative than Tucker Carlson. And maybe he would be more liberal than Governor Gavin Newsom. We just don't get to know. And that's part of losing someone is you lose out on all of that. And I think it just reinforces the seriousness and the solemnness of what it is that somebody gives up and somebody sacrifices. Because the thing that Pat Tillman sacrificed was our ability to know him. He sacrificed that. And we, and we don't honor that sacrifice when we put our personal political beliefs into, into using the power of his name to further our cause and that it just it, it's and I don't know if I would feel the same way if I was further away from the situation. Maybe I would just think of it as this sort of annoying thing that happens online every once in a while. But being closer to the situation and watching his teammates kind of languish every single time it uh, it happens, you know, it, it and, and then it all really just depends on your perspective. Do you remember that story, The Gift of the Magi? Yeah. Where uh, it's like Jim and Della. Della has like two dollars. And uh, she wants to to search for the perfect Christmas present for Jim. Uh, and so she sells her hair, which is like that. That was like what made her beautiful. She sells her hair to a nearby hairdresser. Uh, and then she uses that money to buy Jim a pocket watch chain. Meanwhile, Jim sells his pocket watch in order to get money and I think he buys her like a comb for her hair, right? 
And the beauty of the story of the gift of the Magi is supposed to be the sacrifices that people make of the things that are precious to them for the people that they love. And I think that way too many people, when it comes to Pat Tillman, focus on the outcome. Because the re- one, of, one of the cynical outcomes of the gift of the Magi is they both got useless Christmas presents. Right? Like, <laughs> yeah. What a huge inconvenience. What a couple of dopes. And and when I see like Kevin Blackestone say that Pat Tillman left the NFL to go extinguish lives, it's just like, man, is that really like, have we become so cynical that you can say that type of thing out loud and not have something deep down inside of you say, hey, Kevin, shut the hell up. Like it, it was about the intent at the time. And there's a reason it was inspirational at the time. There's a reason it's tragic now, but at the same time, you have to put things within context. You have to understand that like this guy wasn't a perfect man, but that's, that's again, that's part of the appeal. He understood his shortcomings. He felt like he wasn't doing enough and he decided to go above and beyond. It's up to everybody else how they take that. But the one thing we can't have because he made that sacrifice and 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 because he's not here anymore is his opinion. We just don't have it. So please don't offer it. Please, yep. if you're out there and you're listening to this, Pat is not your uh, pawn with which to make cheap points of your political garbage issues. Boom. <laughs> you are 100. That is the best way to say it, Ralph. Um, now we have... All Pac-12 schools are going to be open as of Wednesday. USC was the last one to uh, start workouts. We've seen other schools start workouts, stop workouts, because they've had a bunch of positive COVID tests. And it is, like I think a couple episodes ago, you said you were optimistic about football starting back. And what did what did I say, Ralph? What did I say? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, dude, I am skeptical. I'm living day by day because I do not believe that everything's okay. I don't believe that um, that we are anywhere in the clear. We've seen an increase in multiple states. We have seen an increase in... Um, and Arizona is up, I mean, what, like 200% in cases or something crazy? We've seen uh, Texas is up, uh, Florida's up, all these states that said, we're open and bring your sports down here, all of that. Um, and we know that deaths lag way behind. So we don't even know what the hell is going to happen. But here's the thing that's interesting to me, Ralph is that throughout all divisions of college football, there are 73,000 players. And give or take the year, it's off by a couple hundred. But you have 73,000. 13,000 of them, around 13,000 of them are Division One, are, are FBS. And in all of college sports, you have... Um, uh, four, I believe 425, around 425,000 college athletes. 
And then in Business Insider today, they put out an article talking about the mortality rate from like 19 to 29 year olds. And that's about 1.4%. So if you look at 1.4% of seven uh, of uh, 425 of 425,000 student athletes, you're looking at almost 6,000 potential deaths if if they all got it and that more mortality rate helped. Six, that's not an acceptable number, Ralph. It's just not. And if you just but look we know, at football. We know that that mortality rate doesn't is not going to apply to collegiate athletes. Like we, we know that from the numbers that we've got so far. It's not them at risk. It's the freaking coaches. Yeah, well – well, the, that's what that's what the mortality rate right now is of people 19 to 29, that it's about one percent of a little more than one percent of them who've contracted the virus have died. So, I mean, even even if it's a quarter of that, you're still looking at 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 six thousand divided by by four. You're looking at fifteen hundred people, e, e, even if it's a tenth of it. Like this, these aren't acceptable numbers. I, I, I just don't. I mean, even if you are one percent of that one percent, still, so what are you going to say? At 50, what are you going to say? Sixty deaths. What are you going to say when people listen to this and they tell you that you're fear mongering and they tell you that you, uh, that you're, uh, <laughs> that you don't want football back? Like, because there's this thought process out there amongst some freedom minded folks. We'll call them that. Uh, there is some uh, there's this mindset that they believe that the media just doesn't want football Dude, to happen. How many how many different ways do I have to say it? Do I love college football more? Like the only thing I love college football more than less than college football is my family. That is the only thing I love less than college football. I mean, sorry. More. <laughs> oh, I hope Tanisha's not listening. The only thing I love more than college football is my family. That's it, dude. My my wife knows if you want to ask me to do something, ask me to do it on Sunday. Don't ask me to do it on Saturday. Like it is just like I love college football with all my heart and my damn team is going to be super good this year. Why would I not want college football? But I I, I live in the reality business, Ralph. I, I just can't just, I, I just can't make sense of, I, I guess people will call me fear mongering or whatever. It just doesn't make sense. Even if it's 1% of 1%, you're still look like, how is 60 college kids who aren't being paid dying okay? I mean, like, I can't picture a world where, th- because... I know that even though the chances are very remote, we live in a world where sometimes the worst case scenario happens. So if 1% of the 1%, I, I, I just can't fathom a world where it is okay. Even if it's one death, like for a kid who is not being paid, that just seems completely unacceptable to me. But maybe I'm in the minority, Ralph. Maybe everybody else is willing to sacrifice other people other than their own children. 
or they say, well, Ed, the chances are so remote. I would send my kid out there. I know that there's that crowd too. But if it were me, I would be absolutely, me and my wife would be sitting here having a, a real discussion with my kid about this, whether this would be happening or not. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know, man. I don't, I, I would have to go back and take a look at the, the statistics from, from everything that I've seen that, that 19 to 26, that's, that's definitely not been, um, at, at the higher end, but maybe you're right about that. And that, I mean, if, if that is true, then that I think adds another element to this. Yeah. I had a lot of conversations today just because I'm wondering if, if there's going to be a high school football season down here in Arizona or not. Some of the bigger schools just moved their camps back a couple of weeks um, because of the huge spike that's out here in Arizona. And, you know, I got together with my staff and I think that we were, we were maybe 70, 30 that there was going to be a season two weeks ago. And I think all of us now are probably closer to that 50, 50 range. And I think it ultimately falls on us. If we lose football, it's our fault. We could have beat this thing. We could have lived in a sacrificial manner. We could have lived for our neighbor. We could have taken this seriously and we just did not And it was yep. a will issue. It was a leadership issue. And people like you and me have been, you know, shouting about it forever. You know, you and I who want nothing more than to be out of our house in the early summer, late springtime, we have not been leaving our house, you know, and, and I'm, I, I, I don't know what to say. You know, I'm, it's at the point right now where I'm packing my car, I'm getting out of Arizona. You know, I'm gonna head up to I'm I'm gonna head up to uh, some wide open space in Wyoming and Montana. I'm gonna chill out till things cool down a little bit more, um, and uh, and I I don't know, man. I, I just I think that uh, when this became political, and when we let our our independence and our need for instant gratification in the form of just basic comfort of not having a mask on or, or, um, not being distant from, uh, from our friends or whatever it else it was, you know, when we decided not to make some of the sacrifices that were being requested of us by the government. And again, they were requests, they were not mandates. Um, they, it's becoming a mandate in some areas now that things are out of control, but for the most part, they just asked people to comply and people said, no, I'm not going to do it. It's not worth my time. And, um, you know, and, and unfortunately the, there, you know, there's people out there who was saying that, 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 you know, the people who did comply were sheep and were acting out of fear. And whereas I do believe some people are very petrified by the fear and anxiety that they're feeling um, about this experience. And, and I, whereas I think we're all a little bit surprised at maybe how thin the veneer of society was, how quick we were to panic about something like this. I think that for the most part, a lot of people are just trying to be sensible and there's, you know, a large portion of, uh, of a different population out there that thinks that this doesn't apply to them. And recently, if you look at the numbers, that's been the 20 to 44 age range of people just uh, wanting to live their life and realizing that this mainly affects older people. So they're willing to risk it. And um, I would absolutely hate. I just had somebody on my staff have to bury their father-in-law uh, after he died alone. And so I don't have a lot of patience for the bullshit. Um, I'm trying to be as diplomatic and as loving when I have these conversations as possible. Uh, but my kids 
youth pastor also had to bury his grandfather after he died alone. And I got a, I got another staff writer for my website who is hoping that his mother pulls through. Um, and I just, I, I don't have time to argue with people because a face mask makes their nose tickle in the grocery store. Like <laughs> GFY, if you know, is, is my response to that Dude, at this point. I, I got a message from our high school football coach <clears throat> and he basically said that like you have a high school coach imploring parents to implore their kids to make good decisions about going out, going to parties, all of this stuff, because there's a lot of people who have a lot riding on this season in terms of, I mean, like th this is a school that a recruit, a Pac-12 recruit, DJ Harvey, that he goes to. And some other kids as, as well, I think their quarterback's committed to, Oh, I forgot where, where where he's committed to, but but these kids have a lot riding on this season, so they're like, um, we need to play. And the coach sends out a message, basically imploring people, like, look, I'm not getting political about this. I'm just saying we're in a real situation where we could not have a season, so we need you to do the right things. And truthfully, all like I do believe that with this message, it's going to be conveyed to kids, and most of them are going to do the right thing. But you are going to have some people that can ruin it for for other people, and that's why I still am not hopeful for football. Even though you have Big Ten schools expecting you know half their crowds in the stands because of social distancing, I don't know, man. I don't know at this point. But I do think it's going to be interesting to see how rosters shape up each week, Ralph. When you have... Yeah. Because each week, you could have one of your best players. I mean, like, imagine if Jaden Daniels gets coronavirus, even if it's asymptomatic for Arizona State, and he's got to stay quarantined for two weeks, get negative tests, and all of that. How is that going to affect... Arizona State season or USC, Keaton Slovis, you know, like your quarterback gets it. What the hell are you supposed to do? Right. And do we have people out there who are crazy enough to uh, pull a, a Utah late night pizza hotel Michael Jordan situation? You know, do we, do we have people who are going to try to like rub their fingers in Jaden Daniels mouth guard when he's not? looking in order to sabotage a season. Like we're in a very weird time. Um, and I just, you know, would somebody be that crazy? Would do, you know, the, the guy who killed the trees, um, in the, in the, oh, Auburn, the Alabama, Alabama. Yeah. 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 Like do, do we have people who are that invested in, you know, collegiate athletics where they would try to use coronavirus as some sort of, competitive advantage or weapon you know it's you know it's going to mess with all the gambling lines we're not we're not going to find out who tested positive until right before kickoff because of hipaa laws and then all of a sudden like what if it's what if it's your star running back and and uh and that line was a minus three and probably should have been a plus four you know what sort of craziness is going to happen there so you're going to have people looking for medical information and violating some of these kids privacies and friending their parents on Facebook um it's going to be 
it's going to be a really, really weird time. Um, would you think that it would be better for a lot of these? Uh, because we saw, you know, Clemson had a big outbreak, Kansas State, Texas. Um, do you think it would be better for it to kind of cycle through some of these teams right now, let them get treatment, let them build up antibodies than it would for a massive outbreak to happen in the season? Because if you have a well, big the- Clemson-style outbreak in the middle of the season and you have to forfeit a game, what's that going to do? Well, part of the problem, I think, is that you is that because of HIPAA laws, you have some schools that are having positive tests that aren't releasing information. They're not even saying. And truthfully, Paul Feinbaum said it the other day on a show. He said, do we trust college coaches to report asymptomatic tests of their best players? And I was like, I don't. At not, not some college coaches, but college coaches as a whole. People who have millions of dollars, livelihoods, and all of that stuff riding on it. They don't even handle injuries correctly all the time. Like people with actual injuries, concussions, they don't handle that perfectly all the time. So now imagine an asymptomatic test. That is like, I just don't trust them to handle it well. So because there's millions of dollars on the line for them, their friends who are their assistant coaches, wins and losses, national championships, conference championships. And mind you, the kids aren't going to always be honest because they want to play. You have to protect football players from themselves a lot of times. I, Yeah, we all know people know, who lied I, about concussions. I mean, we... We all know plenty of people who have lied about concussions. So yes, you're going to have to have something in place to 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 keep an asymptomatic person off the field when all they're doing is running a temperature. You got to have these teams well, and, really and, keep and a lot of times. And and I think that that's the biggest thing that we don't know about Corona is that there because everybody focuses on the deaths, but there are people who have lung damage or long term health effects that we don't even know yet from just having it. So that's the biggest issue and that that leads to uh, the, the, the last thing, which is Ohio State, which I think we're going to see a lot of this coming in other conferences and stuff as well. They created the Buckeye Acknowledgement and Pledge, which essentially says that we have informed you about COVID, all the risks and all this stuff. And. I'm looking at it like, so we have an article up on unafraidshow.com. I'll put it in the show notes about whether this could be construed as a liability waiver on the back end. And I hate this because it reminds me of when I first got to college at Oregon. And to play, you had to sign a waiver saying that the NCAA owned your name, image, and likeness in perpetuity. Otherwise, you couldn't play. Like there was no opt out. There's no union. There's nobody to fight for your rights. It's either sign it or don't play sign it or don't go to college. Like these are the, these are the, the way that players are coerced to do these things. So I don't like it. I think that it is to have 17 to 22 or 23 year olds sign this thing is to work out is a manipulation because they don't have any other option. 
You have to sign it or you can't play, which means you can't get your scholarship. You can't uh, graduate or potentially go to the NFL. Like it's limiting your options so severely. And but this is what teams are trying to do to limit their liability. And I hate it, Ralph. Because these are college kids and not pros. It, we're at an interesting time of some of these college kids that are um, really exercising their uh, their um, their ability to have some power, whether it's Chuba Hubbard uh, or our 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 guy uh, Mike Norvell having to reconcile with uh, Marvin Wilson out at Florida State, um, or I think we just had a Mississippi State player say that he's going to transfer if they don't take down the state flag. So if the players really got together and they didn't like this, then, you know, they could do something. Um, and, uh, you know, that's that's really all that we can kind of hope for right now is, is that if the players, you know, feel like they want to take this on, that they – they take a stand because I'm sure the university would get rid of it right away. But, um, you know, there's nothing that I can do as a co-host of this podcast to convince anybody not to sign anything. You know, if it means to them that they have that, that it's be, that between signing and not signing, whether or not they're going to be able to play football, they're going to sign. I mean, that's, that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. And they're gonna, gonna do it. And I don't love it, but this is the world that we live in at this point in time. Um, the last thing up though, that we got is, okay. So this is a basketball, a PAC 12 basketball um, discussion. Sean Miller, who we have, well, who I believe should be on the hot seat. He's recruited well at Arizona, but the results have not been nearly as up to par as you would expect. There's been a scandal. They may end up on probation. Who knows? Like, this could go left. And I feel like he's done an awful job with the talent that he has recruited. And you had Jason Terry, former NFL, um, NFL, NBA player, uh, Jason the Jet Terry, played with the, you know, he's played with, all sorts of NBA teams, phenomenal three-point shooter, all it is, Arizona legend. And he came out, what was that, in 2018, and was like, they need to clean house. They need to get rid of Sean Miller, all of this. And now they have repaired the situation, and he's working at Arizona. Ralph, could you do this? If you were Sean Miller, could you make up with Jason Terry and hire him on your staff? Uh, here's my theory. You ready for my theory? Okay. Basketball coaches, while a lot of them do hold grudges, uh, basketball coaches are more apt than maybe any other profession to be able to forgive and or understand when somebody's just letting off steam. Because how many basketball coaches have you been around, George, 
where they've been able to hold their tongue when they think a foul is not a foul. <laughs> None of them. They say something in the moment, right? They, they, uh, how many times do you see a coach have an otherwise good relationship with a player, but that player misses a switch on defense and then they get just reamed on the bench, like full on shouting match. Uh, that happens all the time. That happens almost every game. And so for, uh, for Jason Terry to fire off a tweet that basically says that U of A needs to clean house, um, and then for him to call Sean Miller um, and say, you know, I was just being emotional. I think that Sean Miller, as much as anybody, should be able to appreciate that you can say things that you don't necessarily um, believe with your w- – what do you say? Say it with your chest? Yeah, you might say, say something chest. with your chest, but you, you might not realize where you're standing – in the moment that you do that, right? You might not know who's standing behind you when you say, (laughs) when you say with your chest. And so, you know, it, it, he might've been um, serious when he said that U of A needs to clean house, but he might've been equally as serious when he called Sean Miller and told him, Hey, that was just an emotional tweet. And so here we are two years later, Sean Miller's offering him a job. And this is going to be a weird connection that I'm making here. Um, but I believe Sean Miller has forgiven Jason Terry as evidenced by the fact that he gave Jason Terry a job. Therefore, I believe that Bobby Hurley has buried the hatchet with Arizona State Athletic Director Ray Anderson as evidenced by the fact that he just hired back assistant coach Anthony Coleman, and I doubt he would be stocking up his staff if he planned on leaving because he hated Ray Anderson for you know him not thinking Ray Anderson stood up for his wife who was sexually harassed by a booster. I think that basketball coaches are emotional. I think that basketball players are emotional and I think that they understand each other that that when you live the life of a basketball coach, you say and do things in the heat of the moment. That doesn't mean that's how you're going to feel 30 minutes, 3 weeks, 3 months later. That makes sense. That makes sense. I, I I do believe too that basketball coaches do hold a different type of grudge than football coaches because to each other, like basketball coaches, for some reason, like a head coach of one program and a head coach of another. Like, what is it? Is it Sean Miller and UCLA's head coach have like a long-standing grudge or whatever? Yeah, I think. I, I think that's a big part. Of, I, I think that the grudges that they have against each other, like when you're in a similar position of power, um, but then th- those aren't necessarily things where those guys pop off, right? Those are the long, simmering, Cold War type grudges. I think yeah. they, <laughs> you might, they might respect it a little bit more when you say what it is you have to say and you don't hide behind it, and then you apologize for it if you felt it was unwarranted. That that makes sense. Yeah, so I I can understand because the program is bigger than just one person. It's bigger than the coach. It's bigger than one booster, one former player, all of that stuff. And if you're really on board on trying to make Arizona great again, (laughs) then then you do have to be willing to bury these hatchets because 
some of what Jason Terry said was legit. And Sean Miller has some points too. And at the end of the day, they both ideally want the same thing for Arizona to be a national championship contender year in and year out. And if they can get on the same page with that, then I think that that's smart to bury the hatchet. Do you think that uh, there's going to be a postseason for University of Arizona this year? I think so, because the NCAA has got so much stuff on its hands right now that it can't even be worried about postseason bans and all of the logistics of enforcement and all that. I think that they have much bigger fish to fry with the whole coronavirus and and schools and all of that, that they're just saying, listen, we don't have time for all this. We'll maybe figure this out or we won't. Huh? Lamont Evans took 20K, around 20K, um, and Book Richardson took around 20K, and they banned Oklahoma State. So I'm very curious to see if that's also going to apply to University of Arizona. Yeah, yeah, they did hit Arizona. They did hit Oklahoma State. So, yeah, it's probably coming. Probably coming down the the pipeline on some on on some off days from some people who aren't worried about COVID. But uh, we thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles. We appreciate your time, appreciate your energy. Thank you for listening. He's Ralph Amsden. I'm George Reister. And of course, leave a five star rating or do not leave a four star rating because Ralph is competitive. <laughs> All right, thanks guys. Catch you guys next episode.